0: Hi, welcome to the Question will Show episode, I'm going to call it 3.5. Just doing an episode of the podcast here to cover the Ultimus Week point tasks. Going to go over the Tier 2 tasks 4 and 5, looking at awards season as well as looking at the state of the playoffs here. Uh, It is the evening uh, of the 25th of May of Monday. I guess uh, early morning if you're on the East Coast of the uh, of the Tuesday, but um, for me here, it's it's uh, nice right here in the evening, just finished up watching all of the playoffs matches and ready to dive into some of the stuff about the playoffs looking forward towards the Ultimus and Ultimini and uh, the awards looking at the NSFL and DSFL. So that starts us off with um, Point Task 1 here. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into this. Or I guess it's Point Task 4, but the first of the two that I'm going to cover today. And that's um, number 4 in the uh, Tier 2 section. Where it says it's time. Ta- uh, it's down to the Final 4, now down to the Final 2 in both leagues. Uh, choose a playoff team that's not your own and recount how they got there. Um, I'm actually going to go over both of the teams in the Ultimini here. Because I think it's a really, really interesting Ultimini... Uh, ultimini this season and uh, really interesting stories for both these teams and really fresh to see these teams both coming to the to the uh, ultimini it's the first Ultimate for the London Royals uh, actually their first playoff appearance total so really cool to see that team in just their second season since a, since uh, entering the DSFL to see them making it to the championship game and excited for them to hopefully have a competitive match uh, with the Tijuana Luchadors who made it on the other side. Nice to have uh, a whole different championship game from last season. I know you can sometimes have teams that go on uh, long streaks of, you know, having pl- having championship appearances and it's nice to uh, see both these teams come back here. Luchadors is an organization, generally you're not uh, not strangers to being in the DSFL uh, championship having won the whole thing six times And um, yeah, I feel like it's been a little bit of time since necessarily since the uh, luchadors have been up here towards the top of competition, and they really have have uh, dominated this season. Uh, But I want to I want to look first at Tijuana and really or at um, sorry at London and really look at the kind of journey that it took for them to get here because they had a really both of these games today were incredibly tight, and uh, I think it's a really interesting. Journey for London to have been able to make it this far the London Royals made it into the playoffs as the second seed in their conference uh, and as the lowest seed in the playoffs overall it's really interesting to see them being able to make it to the ultimate even if they will be doing excuse me be doing so without uh, without the benefit of home field advantage they were able to take uh, the conference championship game away from the Minnesota gray ducks today with a 13 to 10 overtime victory. Um, and really, really an interesting game. If we look at London over the entirety of the season, they've been really dependent on their pass game. Um, they, they rank, uh, they rank last in rushing with only 1,998 yards, uh, on 449 attempts. Those both being the lowest in the league, uh, at their respective, uh, they have thirteen touchdowns, which you know is certainly respectable. Getting those, those uh, red zone carries in for the touchdowns, but overall, definitely, they uh, they have over a thousand yards less than the league leader, so uh, and three hundred, almost four hundred yards um, less than the Minnesota Grey Ducks, who are also pretty dependent on their passing game. Which we can see here by the fact that Minnesota and London are second and third, respectively, in the passing game in the DSL this season. Really, not something you see too much in the DSL, and especially not with teams that make it to the playoffs have been so dependent on passing in such a run heavy league. But um, the London Royals were able to put together 2,394 yards on 232 completions, that coming through second year quarterback colby jack and uh, they have uh looks like a passer rating of 80.5 a really good passer rating for the dsfl Um, and 16 touchdowns through the air on the season minnesota their opponent in the conference championship game were able to put together 2538 yards just more than the london royals Um, and had 18 touchdowns, just a little bit more than the Royals as well. But they did have two more touchdowns. London had, er, excuse me, interceptions. London had nine on the season and Minnesota had 11, which uh, resulted in the Minnesota Gray Ducks ending up with a 77.2 rating as opposed to London's 80.5. Their primary quarterback, really their only quarterback in the roster, is uh, Sim Snowbow. Um, And he's been having a pretty good season. Definitely uh, a lot more risky than uh, Colby Jack but Colby Jack has been done has been doing a really great job of being safe and playing um, playing to keep London in the game of course London uh, ended up with a six and eight record as opposed to Minnesota's eight and six record even in a really tough tight uh, tight conference so it really took until the uh, the last game of the season for London to be able to punch their tickets to the ds Feld playoffs in the first place which is really interesting because they started off the uh, beginning of the season the uh the first five weeks of the season they were four and one having wins over kansas city tijuana norfolk and myrtle beach a lot of really great competition there that they were able to beat um however they lost to the portland pythons in that time uh, and that was going to come back uh that was going to be a game they were able to split later in the season by winning against Portland in the 11th week. But after having gone 4-1 and one by week 5, uh, things got pretty hairy for, for London as they ended up taking a 5-game uh, loss streak, losing to Dallas, Minnesota, Kansas City, Tijuana, and Norfolk. So a really tough stretch there. And um, tougher even that those aren't just like those are a majority away games, but they had home games to Minnesota and Norfolk, and uh, lost by actually really significant margins on a lot of these games. Losing to Minnesota 37 to 7, and losing to Norfolk's uh, sorry losing to Tijuana 38 to 3. So really big margins there that they were losing by in that big loss streak they ended up coming back in week 11 with the win as i mentioned earlier over portland and split their uh, remaining two game days so when they lost when they won against portland they lost away to myrtle beach next uh the final day of regular season games they were able to beat dallas while also losing to minnesota it really came down to the fact that portland ended up stumbling stumbling at the uh at the end of the line, losing both of their final games to end up five and nine. So London with a six and eight record ended up just one game ahead of the third place in their conference. which is really interesting a team at a four uh, at a 429 percent win rate um, sorry a, a 40 42.9% win rate um, entering the playoffs, much less entering the Ultimamini. Their point differential on the on the season was was really bad. Like I said earlier, when they were losing, they were losing really really bad. So, uh, two hundred and sixty points for on the season and three hundred and twenty six points against. They did manage to have a five and two home record, which is comparable to the number one seed in the conference, which had a five and two home record as well. But Minnesota's three and four road record beat London's uh, th- uh, one and six road record by the two wins that ended up putting minnesota in the first seed excuse me so it was a tough game coming into minnesota minnesota looking pretty similar to london but uh just like the better version and uh, minnesota really has a lot of great receiving options that helps enable their passing game london certainly has some uh, good receivers of, of of their own, with uh, Nick Capricolon leading the way, the second wide, the second year wide receiver coming back to the team, with uh, almost 800 yards on the season. But really, overall, it it looked like Minnesota would have the more sure hands and the ability to take over the game versus versus London, especially as the home team. But down the stretch, it was all tied up, leading to a 10-10 score going into overtime where after a few uh, back and forth, the London Royals were able to ping in a 29-yard field goal by Datsum Fastball to take the 13-10 to score, sending London to the Ultimini. When we look at what might have caused this result to happen, uh, it's really easy to, knowing that this is really a competition of two pass-first teams, to look at the difference between the two quarterbacks in the night, Colby Jack versus Sim Snowbow. And this really tells a lot of the story with Colby Jack completing 24 of 36 passes for 278 yards. With a touchdown on the night completing a 99.1% 99.1, uh, 99.1 passer rating. Whereas Sim Snowbow only completed 18 of his 32 attempts for 161 yards with an interception leading to a 56.9 Passer reigning so when we look at the the slight difference in the um, the ability of Colby Jack to just play uh, a little bit safer and to to Take a little bit less risks and be more reliable for the London Royals Leading to uh, a higher completion percentage his completion percentage being 66.6% compared to Sim Snowball's 56.3% and uh, being able to score the touchdown Whereas Sim Snowbow ended up turning the ball over. Big difference you're seeing in passer rating and a big difference that that played in the field. Especially if you have a quarterback that's able to make more completions, uh, miss less passes, and uh, keep the chains going. It leads to a big difference in time of possession. A really critical stat when you're looking at what team's uh, performance has been. And the, uh, the tail of the tape really shows a big advantage for Minnesota, or excuse me, for London coming out of this game. Whereas they were able to c- control the ball for 40 minutes and 52 seconds of the game, Minnesota only held the ball for 28 minutes and 56 seconds. Adding to the one interception, as well as a fumble that they lost on the game, their two turnovers, uh, as well as uh, a disadvantage in penalty yards. And really just not being able to get the ball moving in that completion percent on passing attempts was the major downfall for Minnesota coming out of this game. So London are able to win it over uh, over Minnesota in kind of an unexpected turn of events for people keeping track of that conference. But in the end, uh, London... Was able to convert on their opportunities to take less risks, control the ball, take care of the ball, and uh, The win is rightfully theirs and they are able to travel to Tijuana for the Ultimini. And when we look at uh, Tijuana on the other side of this with a 10 and 4 win-loss record on the season That's a 71.4 win percentage and uh, their point differential being 330 points for and 259 points against really tijuana controlled the season of the DSL. they really were the vanguards of the league as a whole their 10 and 4 record bests the second best records in the league at eight and six shared by norfolk as well as minnesota so really a lot of teams kind of waddling in around the 500 area as far as win percentage, but Tijuana able to really, really have a strong season. They um, kind of turned around the same thing that London had. Instead of having big loss streaks, Tijuana managed their season by having two big win streaks, Uh, a a four-game win streak from weeks three to six, and a five-game win streak from weeks eight to twelve. The thing that kind of concerns me about Tijuana is when you look at what their losses on the season were, they had a really close loss to, to start out the season to, uh, at, with a home game to Norfolk going uh, and losing that game 17-6. to They followed up the next game with a road game in, in London, uh, their opponents this coming ultimini, and lost that game 39-16, to so a huge win for London in that area. Whereas uh, Tijuana was able to turn around their season from there, they still had a couple losses on the season that are concerning. Losing to the five and nine Portland Pythons uh, in Portland, twenty six to twenty one, and then losing to the five and nine Kansas City Coyotes again in Kansas City as well, twenty three to twenty. Now a lot of their their game losses to. Teams with worse records, though those losses to London, to Kansas City, and to Portland, those three games were all away games. So definitely something to look at with Tijuana controlling the home field and uh, having that advantage coming into the sim is really going to be um, something that they are happy to have, because really the the losing the home field advantage can be such such a wild card in the uh, in the end result. But Tijuana were able to have a lot of success in a pretty balanced game plan. Again, they were still able to have a lot of success in the air with the combination of Ben Swaflisberger and Jim Waters putting together the, the number one passing game in the league uh, as far as yards go with 2,781, having 14 touchdowns to 11 interceptions on the season. And uh, being able to control the game through the air as well as on the ground as Tijuana ended up being fourth in the league in, in rushing with 2,420 yards and 22 touchdowns on um, the season. 22 touchdowns being number one in the league, um, but number four in the league as far as actually tied for four with Kansas City at 2,420 yards though uh, it took more attempts than kansas city for tijuana to reach that they had a 4.5 average whereas kansas city had the five uh, yard average per carry but overall we see a team that was able to dominate the competition this season in the regular season and uh, exert their will in both the running and passing games with a combination of a lot of offensive weapons and players Uh, when it comes to the defense um, the Tijuana Luchadors are are in a similar position to their offensive stats, where they're uh, they're first overall in offense and second or er, uh, second in their conference, third overall in defense, um, being third overall in yards and um, second overall in passing yards, lagging a little bit behind in the rushing yards, looking actually a little worse than um, than their offense there in the rushing but not by much. Overall, they're pretty consistent on defense and able to come up with the plays they need. Uh, Again, Tijuana just has a lot of players that can do a lot of things. Being able to have two quarterbacks that can come in and be successful, having multiple running backs and wide receivers that can come in and be successful, and uh, to be able to adapt the the other team and uh, really unleash a bevy of different game plans has been the story of their success overall for the season. So it was a little weird to see them come into the game with the Seawolves and struggle this much. Norfolk has really turned it up towards the end of the season, and I have to applaud them for that. Um, but this game just didn't really seem like a typical Tijuana game. For one, it was really low-scoring with the uh, both teams. This is another overtime game, so both teams were tied up at 13 at the end of regulation time. And... It really came down to one thing for the Tijuana Luchadors, ending up winning this game 16-13. to Because when we look at some of the important stats that we looked at for the London-Minnesota game, it doesn't look like Tijuana should have had the advantage coming out of that. They lost in the time of possession war with only 31 minutes and 14 seconds to Norfolk's 39 minutes and 35 seconds they lost big in the penalties war with seven penalties for 45 yards whereas norfolk only had three for 25. what it really really came down to was a red zone efficiency and especially efficiency in the kicking game i think that comes a lot down to norfolk employing a gm kicker bot versus having the human kicker really an important thing that thing that teams should be looking to have and secure so that they don't um, get kind of undercut by the same same things that impacted Norfolk in losing this game. Because really, really, Norfolk was looking better. They scored two touchdowns in the game, whereas uh, Tijuana was only able to score one, and they were only able to do that in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter of the game. So really having to come back at the end for Tijuana struggling in a re- in a uh in a way that we don't usually see for them so something that we're going to have to keep track of so this comes down again to the red zone efficiency so whereas whereas norfolk were able to to get into the end zone twice those were the only times that they were able to, s- to score despite being in range to score four different times comes down to their gm Bob bauer missing two field goals yes those came from from 40 to 49 yards out but missing those two field goals as well as missing an extra point having that extra point at the end of the game would have put them up 14 to 13 compared to tijuana would have forced tijuana uh, after that touchdown to have attempted a two-point conversion instead of having their kicker kick in the extra point which could have given um could have given Norfolk the victory 14-12 to at the end. But missing that extra point, missing that short dink field goal, really, really hurts uh, Norfolk coming into overtime. And then they had the attempt to the... uh, One of their two kicking attempts was in overtime, which they missed, which gave Tijuana the opportunity to come back and kick the field goal to win it. When we look at the other side, there was actually four different kicking attempts for for tijuana they were in range to score five times and were able to convert on that four of those five times with their kicker small going one and one on their extra points after their touchdowns critical to be able to secure those extra points as we saw for norfolk and going two and two out of two in field goals of 30 to 39 yards and one of two in field goals of 40 to 49 yards and being able to pick up that 36-yard field goal in overtime to ice the game to end the game for Tijuana and send them to the ultimini. So Tijuana is really going to be looking at getting back on top, getting back to fighting form, being able to control the field and control the the game against London London is going to be looking to continue the same things that they were able to do against Minnesota that's controlling time of possession controlling and being careful with the ball being able to find those those short passing uh, attempts to to keep the field open and keep the clock running on their side and keep putting them in position to score whereas Tijuana really is gonna have to look at being more careful with the ball they um another stat i didn't discuss earlier in the game with norfolk is that they did have two turnovers two interceptions made by jim waters um to norfolk's zero uh, zero turnovers so taking care of the ball from passing position is going to be really important for tijuana because we've already seen london can take advantage of that So getting the passing game going, being careful with the ball, and really getting that run, that run game going a little bit more. Tijuana was able to be semi-successful with the run game overall. Their averages look good. Gilbert had a 4.8 average, and running back had a 5.3 average. But if they're not able to rely on that running game to win them the time of possession war, that really hampers their ability to take the game to London. Again, home field advantage is going to take a big part of this, but I think it's really going to be an exciting game, which is not much that I would have expected for a six and eight team traveling to a ten and four team. Really rooting for both of these teams to have a really good time, to have a really good game, and um, excited to see how the result comes out. Fingers crossed that nobody gets sim fucked on this one, but I think uh, I think both teams have put together Really good rosters and should be proud of their season especially London being able to make it to the ultimate in just their second season With that task done and taking way more than the uh, ten minutes that I needed to to for that I'm gonna move on to the other point task that I wanted to cover that being the uh, fifth point task on the list um, the task about awards which says that award season is a big part of the offseason season festiv- festivities Take the stand for one or more players that are not your own and argue why they should receive awards glory They can be your teammates or anyone in the league uh, And I wanted to look more at the offensive positions. I think uh, For one those uh, those positions are easier to look at for somebody that might not have as much experience with defense or with the sim or what? Really makes a big impact on that side of the ball Um, I think we can kind of we have a lot more information about offense and a lot more stats coming through the sim about offense to be able to understand who has really put in the work and who has really deserves the awards at the end of the season at the end of the regular season. So looking first, I think uh, for me is really interesting as a, as a rookie on the offense to look at the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Unfortunately, Takuma Nakamura for myself, I don't think is really in the competition. Um, you know, I'd love them to be considered at all and to be looked at, but I think when we get down to the stats, it really doesn't make sense to be putting in Nakamura for that award. So I think that leads us to go ahead and look at what comes down to for me is uh two two players that we should really look be looking at and for me that's jeffrey phillips the tight end uh fullback in the system but the tight end for orange county and accurate skyline the running back for the yellow knife both people that have had uh really good seasons and both people who uh i've been able to follow through the season and think definitely deserve Uh, the chance to be nominated and considered for the award so when we look at Acura skyline the running back for the old knife wraiths he's had a really good season even behind their uh, running back matthias hanyadi who will definitely come up when i get into the mvp discussion Um, but uh, skyline has still been able to put together 212 carries for 911 yards with uh, nine touchdowns on on the ground and then through the air, we're looking at uh, him pulling in 34 catches for 358 yards and another tu- another touchdown through the air. So really successful on the ground and on the air as, a, as an option for Yellowknife. Even if their season did uh, end up ending today, they were able to come to the top regular season record and have a really, uh, really successful team especially a really successful offense. And uh, having Skyline to pair in the running back by committee alongside Mattias Nyati was, a was I think, a really big part of that success. And then if we look at um, blocking as well, I think it's important to look at uh, Acura Skyline had 14 pancakes and allowed five sacks, which is kind of a little bit of a blemish uh, on his and the stats for the season. But I think it's important for... You know, it's not the primary job necessarily of the tight ends or the running backs, but I think it's important to look at those blocking stats as well, as they do make a contribution to the team's offense as a whole. Jeffrey Phillips, the tight end for Orange County, uh, he did end up having a couple of carries for 14 yards, but the main thing that we're looking at is Phillips' 66 receptions for 822 yards and three touchdowns, with uh, 12 pancakes on the season and zero sacks allowed so i think i think if you look at the raw numbers if you look at just like hey let's look at yards let's look at times they touch the ball or average or touchdowns you are definitely saying you know skylines our guy and i think um i think skyline definitely deserves some recognition on the season and deserves to be nominated overall but i think when you look at the role that they play in the offense when you look at the competition that they faced against and you look at the uh, relative success at the position i really do believe that jeffrey phillips has had an outstanding season and deserves to be considered the front runner for the offensive rookie of the year award having those 66 catches as a rookie tight end a true rookie tight end at that um, accurate skyline is a true rookie as well being able to edge out even the uh, the s21 running back as compared to skyline's s22 but the s21 running back baby yoda um i think baby yoda might have had a little bit of an advantage early on in the season playing for the outlaws but as the uh, wraiths moved on this season uh, Skyline's stats really uh, really show that they were able to get more and more involved and be more and more successful for their team but again to phillips i think i think when we look at 66 receptions We look at the ability for for phillips to find chunk yards and to find and um, be a big part of orange county being able to move down the field if you when you watch orange county games phillips is really a big part of the offensive gameplay where you have the the kind of three-headed monster rushing attack between between the quarterback franklin armstrong as well as the two running backs nakamura and bigby when you come down to the passing games uh of course the uh the experienced wide receiver humongo plays a big part of that but an even bigger part especially in critical situations comes down to jeffrey phillips being able to find maybe 5 to 12 yards for a first down or able to find uh you know a big 30 yard reception to really move the momentum in the favor for the otters um i really do think when you look at kind of the the role that they play in the offense and the ability for jeffrey phillips to really affect the 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 game plan and to affect the success of the otters offense uh, an offense that was able to take first in a much tougher conference um I think it really speaks to the success and, um, the, the, the reasons why Jeffrey Phillips deserves the Offensive Rookie of the Year title, and then again, you look at, um, Skyline was able to kind of pad some of those stats, I really think, against Chicago, I don't want to make that claim baselessly, let me actually look up the, um, stats for, for, um, For Yellowknife versus Chicago, but I know Sh- uh, Yellowknife was able to face Chicago later down the season after they'd traded away their uh, quarterback. And um, yeah, I guess I really uh, uh, some of the some of the receiving stats were definitely um, helped in that fashion, as uh, Skyline had 73 yards on five receptions against the Butchers. Uh, as on top of their thirty-five yards on the ground, um, but you know, like you look at the offense and the success of the race, they really were pounding on a lot of um, not very successful teams at the end of the season. And having that little wee- little bit weaker uh, schedule really favors Skyland's stats at the end of the season. In the end, I think uh, I think you could end up putting the award towards either of these these uh, rookies i don't think we should necessarily account i don't think we should necessarily count yellow Knife's scheduled too much against them they could only play who was in front of them and they did a really good job of putting up a lot of points and having a really successful offense just when you look at the scores their like lowest score on the season was like 21 points and they uh, usually averaged in the in the 30s so really successful offense um putting up a 50 burger i think a couple of times but you know having that having that other running back in there is a really big part of why that was successful and i think that deserves consideration when we look at the rookie of the year award looking at the kind of big kahuna of the awards the league mvp you're kind of looking you're always looking at the best quarterback in the league which kind of leads you to a discussion about wolfie mcdummy for the colorado yeti versus easton cole for the austin copperheads versus franklin armstrong for the orange county otters and the uh up to this point uh three pete mvp and uh looking potentially and especially as i'm going to argue for their fourth mvp on the season And then you have uh, Matthias Hanyadi, the most successful running back, I think, definitely a shoe-in for running back of the year, but somebody that should also be in the conversation for MVP as a whole. Hanyadi had a really great year with 268 carries for 1,280 yards, seven touchdowns on the ground, another 440 yards through the air, and another four touchdowns through the air. But then when we look at at our quarterbacks in the league, I think... um, I think we do kind of have to say that um, that Wolfie McDummies' McDum- relatively weak passing yards, having only 2,777, as compared to almost 3,300 and uh, 2,900 for Easton Cole and Franklin Armstrong, respectively. Uh, and while Wolfie McDummy certainly had a lot of contributions on the um, on the ground with 634 yards that even uh, that even doesn't compare to Armstrong's 720 uh, yards on the ground and uh, Armstrong was able to find the end zone six times on the ground compared to McDummy with only three and then when you consider the competition in the other conference uh, I think Wolfie McDummy kind of gets eliminated through all of those different processes So that kind of brings you down to easton cole versus franklin armstrong easton cole having a a certainly much more successful season through the air with uh, 50 more attempts through the air resulting in almost uh, almost 400 yards more through the air uh, and uh, 26 touchdowns as compared to franklin armstrong 17. and uh, really having a great year being a huge part of why Austin Copperheads were able to come back into the playoffs after having a a really poor first end of the season but then we get into the running uh the rushing stats and that's really where Armstrong is able to close the gap and push themselves ahead Uh, with their 720 yards dwarfing Easton Cole's 203 yards um heck even when you look at Easton Cole's biggest play on the season, their 63-yard scamper versus Orange County. That doesn't even match up to Armstrong's longest rush of the season, being 66 yards. So really, that does close the gap when you look at those rushing yards, even exceeds the gap in Armstrong's favor. And pushes that gap in touchdowns even closer but even when you look into it most valuable player Franklin Armstrong was the was the core was the nucleus of Orange County's offense and the reason that they were able to get to the number one seed in their conference and now to the ultimus as we've seen today uh, topping the Copperheads in that conference championship and uh, when you look at those combination of factors I think you really do have to put Armstrong over the top for their fourth consecutive MVP, even as uh, I'm sure much of the league will kind of hate to see it. But um, I think the matter of the fact is that Armstrong keeps rolling on and keeps being incredibly, incredibly successful in this league and really good at what they do. Um, I don't want to leave out Hanyadi, uh, totally. I think, you know, having that, um, over 1700 yard season in combined yards, having that 11 touchdowns in combined between rushing and, uh, receiving, I think is a really great season for Hanyadi. I think ultimately success at the quarterback position maybe means a little bit more to a team and, uh. I don't wanna harp on it too much. Again, I don't know how much the awards committee really does take this into effect, and I don't think we should just always have award winners be coming from the ASFC, but maybe not having the best competition to go against all the time can hamper your awards results. In the end, I think it'll be a really interesting race to keep tracking. I think Easton, Cullen, and Matthias, and had really great seasons and really looking forward to seeing what they can do next season as uh they'll be taking another step forward well uh not unfortunately due to regression will be taking maybe a little bit of a step back but you know they hit regression this season again who says that they can't go for a fifth award as much as i would uh i think more than anything i would love to see the reaction to that result than anything i want to go over the DSFL awards as well real quick even if i've already covered through my 10 minutes uh, it looks like I'm gonna go ahead and make this a, f- a 45 minute podcast anyways So I apologize to whoever, whoever's grading this but I have to have enough uh, filler to Compensate for all the pauses and ums and ahs that I have so enjoy uh, enjoy my Far from sultry voice for a little bit longer Looking at the same war awards for the DSL again. We're gonna be talking about uh, MVP and uh, the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, both co- uh, Just both sections that I think um, I can contribute a little bit more to the conversation. Um, even though it is league overall MVP, it's, it's going to be an offensive player and we just have to know and accept that from this point and uh you know when we're talking about overall offensive awards in the in the DSFL we're we're, we're going to be talking about rushing just kind of the fact of the matter with the cap uh running backs able to be a lot more successful than quarterbacks in the simulation for the DSFL a lot of really interesting running backs and a lot of uh, really interesting stories when we look at the running backs for the DSFL there was uh There was six players this season. They were able to have over thirteen hundred rushing yards. Really great seasons for a lot of different players. When you look at the rush leader, that being Tequila Sunrise for the Norfolk uh, Sea Wolves, they were able to put up fourteen hundred and sixty-nine yards. But I really am going to discount them from this race for their four-yard average. They had three hundred and sixty-four attempts on the season, and. yeah just weren't able to build enough of the yardage lead and only put up seven seven touchdowns compared to some other people in here being able to build up a little bit more but that yardage average really hurts them not being as efficient as some of the other running backs when we get down to the two most efficient running backs and i think the running backs that we should be maybe looking at for our league mvp that comes down to uh i believe it's andrew nova uh Sorry if I'm wrong on that, but uh, Nova, the running back for Kansas City, and uh, Keishwa Jones, the running back for the Dallas Bird Dogs. Both of them were able to have uh, seasons that ended in yardage averages of over 5 yards per carry and uh, finished with over 1,400 yards. In fact, they were only separated by 7 yards as uh, Nova had 1,410 yards and Keishwa Jones had 1,403 and they both did that on the same number of carries, 268 carries for both of them. What kind of uh, ends up making the separation here at the end is going to be the touchdowns. Nova was able to, to find the end zone nine times, whereas Kishwa Jones was only able to find the end zone seven times. So I think that's really going to make the difference. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Nova's going to be able to end up pulling in the DSFL MVP, I believe, that is, if they are active. I haven't actually looked in and seen it their most um, their most recent update. Um, I just kind of wanted to discuss this based on the stats that we have so far. But that could definitely make it make a difference. I believe that there is a rule that was passed during this last off season that um, did mandate that award winners had to be active players and yeah that's pulling up that that um update there that's definitely going to hurt andrew nova impressive that they were able to pull out that performance on just 171 tpe but that's a uh, 171 tp that uh, they last accrued uh in their final update in march 7th so uh let's go ahead and give it to uh kishwa jones then I believe that they have updated much more, uh, much more recently. Yeah, they uh, finished an update on the uh, most recent update, the 23rd. So, you know, even if they ever they were those two touchdowns back, they uh, we kind of have to give it to them. If you were gonna put in anybody else here, you could. Um, I think you could talk about Laxon, who, while wow, they only had a 4.4 yard per carry average. Uh, they were able to put up those nine touchdowns and were uh better than keishwa jones by seven as well tying nova with 1410 yards and uh as well we should probably talk about uh about richard gilbert for the tijuana luchadores who i believe is active i don't want to make another mistake of bringing up another inactive player but yes they have um they have updated thank goodness for uh for gilbert there good job but um, yeah, they had 1,331 yards for a 4.5 yard per carry average and had 10 touchdowns on the season, the second best of, uh, of any, any running back in the DSFL this season. So certainly they deserve to be in the conversation. There's a lot of running backs that put up a lot of really good performances. And it wasn't just uh, second or third season running backs. We had a few uh, offensive rookies coming into the conversation at running back. And uh, I think they'll get a, a bit more pop in the Offensive Rookie of the Year section. And uh, a few players to look at in this kind as well. The three biggest ones I think are going to be Nicholas Ayers, the uh, running back from Myrtle Beach. Excuse me, 3-foot Jeffrey, the running back for Myrtle. Sorry, another running back for Myrtle Beach. And Joseph Pentrangolo, a uh, running back for Portland. All three of these running backs were able to have over 1,000 yard, over 1,100 yard seasons, uh, with be being the lowest at 1,188 um, at yards, whereas uh, Jeffrey and Ayers had 1,265 yards and 1,348 yards, respectively. I think the biggest thing that uh, comes in this conversation is uh, going to be touchdowns and that brings me to one of those uh one of these running backs that I haven't even talked about yet because I almost forgot them off my list and that's running back for Tijuana running back the running back for Tijuana um yeah running back is their name but they were able to have an over a thousand yard season with a 1062 yards but the critical thing here is the fact that they were able to put in uh walk into the end zone 11 times having the uh the most touchdowns in the um, in the DSFL just outpacing their own team teammate, teammate Richard Gilbert uh, and a lot of efficiency uh, out of uh, running back yet another running back a rookie running back that was quite efficient as well that being Knell McSeal, the second running back for Portland who had just shy of a thousand yards at 998 had a nice five yard even five yard average and put uh, put the ball into the end zone eight times on the ground. So again, a lot of running backs as well At uh, out of the rookies that deserve into the conversation as well. And uh, I think in the end, off of the touchdowns alone, I would have to go ahead and put running back in the lead for that conversation. 11 touchdowns is really quite quite a monstrous, monstrous season, and they were still able to be really efficient with 4.7 yards per carry, which compares evenly to Joseph petrangolas four point seven yards, and um, at just edges out Nicholas Ayers' four point six yards. Though he is though he is slightly um, slightly dwarfed by three foot Jeffries' four point nine yards. So I've talked enough numbers. I think I've I think I've just I've read enough numbers for you. I think you get the gist of me having enough minutes here at um, at forty six minutes, almost forty seven minutes in. So I'm gonna go ahead and end it there. Um, had a nice discussion, was able to research and look a lot into the Ulta Mini competition and the success of the two, the the journey and success of the two DSFL teams that were able to make it to that point and uh, look at the awards, uh, the uh, top offensive awards, the uh, the um, MVP and the Offensive Rookie of the Year in both the NSFL and DSFL uh, leagues. And uh, a lot of really interesting competition going to be excited to see what the awards committee decides um, even if there has been some uh, some noise and some negative things said about the awards committee. I'm sure they'll uh, I know there's a lot of good people in there that are looking to to really make a make a, the best informed decision that they can so going to be excited a lot of people deserving of awards this season a lot of people deserving of recognition and uh, Yeah, I think it's been a really, really fun and really interesting season of the NSFL and DSFL. And uh, looking forward to see what everybody does next season. Looking forward to seeing the results of the Ultimus and Ultimini on Wednesday. Uh, Go Otters, go Pythons. And uh, thank you for listening. Stay questionable.